My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, a senior writer at ProBible.com. I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. And today, for our first topic, I am making a call into the Post Cred Pod bullpen because... Drum roll... Morning Brews, Brandon Katz is here. Oh, what the fuck? You didn't tell me this. <laughs> no, it's a surprise. I, literally, I just texted him five minutes ago as I was making our doc because probably the biggest entertainment news story of the week is Netflix pooping its pants. Yeah. Just based on that description of it, I am clearly not intelligent enough to, <laughs> to, to describe the scope of what's going on. What I can tell you is that the company reported on Tuesday that it lost subscribers for the first time in more than 10 years. The news shocked Wall Street and sent shares plummeting 35%, wiping out $50 billion in market cap. And this was after the company's stock had dropped more than 40% year to date. Now, in order to help break down what this means, I have called in a favor from our friend, <laughs> Morning Brews, Brandon Katz. How are you today, brother? I'm doing good. Honored to be on the call sheet. You know, whenever you guys need me, I'll be here. I'll pitch well, hit anytime. You will definitely be coming back for a full show when Dr. Strange drops, but you are uniquely qualified to speak on this because not only is entertainment industry your space, but you also take a liking to the business end of it. So I actually replied to one of your tweets because and I, Kate, I know that you have sort of a stock investment kind of brain as well. So perhaps you guys could just chat on this and I'll take a step back. But I, I asked you to, to, to sort of explain what it means in layman terms and not so much data terms. So right. what are your sort of big baseline thoughts about this whole thing? So to understand what's going on, you need to understand basically how Netflix has thrived over the last decade as an original content provider. And long story short, they sold Wall Street on the narrative, the very enticing, sexy story that they were a long-term growth stock. And for the most part, over the last decade, even with some turbulence on the road, they have succeeded in reaching that goal. Every quarter, they're adding subscribers and adding subscribers. And essentially, Wall Street was like, holy crap, streaming is the future. They're going to have 500 million subscribers at some point. It's the whole reason why they gave them such a long leash financially. And it's the whole reason why other legacy media entertainment companies like Disney, like Paramount Global, like Warner Brothers, they all reorient, reoriented themselves around streaming. They all changed their hierarchy to prioritize streaming. Now, for the first time since Netflix became an original content provider, it is looking at back-to-back -back quarterly losses of subscribers because it's, it's also projecting 2 million losses next quarter. First time that's ever happened. So all of a sudden, Wall Street feels like the girl that got into bed with the guy based on a lie. She's like, you have completely and utterly used me you lied to me it wasn't true they yeah. went home drunk and thought that they brought home a 10 woke up and saw that he's really a six <laughs> exactly and listen netflix is still the biggest tv network in the world yeah. they're still number one in the streaming wars and i think there is a a viable path forward for them but this is a huge course correction of their overvalued stock and you know anytime a company loses 50 billion plus in market value in a day that is concerning and so 
now that we have such significant concerns over, wow, can Netflix continue to grow? They're going to face some significant financial hardships moving forward. And frankly, all of us are waking up to a cold, hard realization that maybe the streaming economy wasn't what we thought it was. Brandon, well done as always, especially on the spot. My man, I literally texted you five Jesus. minutes ago and he comes with the clip fully loaded. Kay, do you have <laughs> anything to add to that before I ask sort of my regular guy questions? Not not a ton other than like, I imagine Netflix is fine. This isn't like the end of Netflix. I've seen some people being like, oh, fucking they're getting their comeuppance and like, <laughs> they're fine. I mean, like, yeah, 2 million is not insignificant when you've had such a high growth period, you know, like that's crazy, but um, it's not the end of the world. I'm yeah. sure this is, you know, when you lose that much money, there's going to be some pressure felt uh, from investors or whoever. Uh, so maybe it'll cause them to kind of go, okay, maybe we do need to rethink some strategies here because people have often criticized that they just make anything and then cancel everything. <laughs> so like it, it's, it's not maybe working <laughs> as well as they it used to. And now we're finding out they're spending $30 million an episode on stranger things episodes. And yeah, I, I, I just read today season Wild. four cost of reported $270 million. It, so it's so weird because the economics of streaming have never been as good as the economics of the cable bundle. Linearly, you're always going to make more money with that old model. And yet that model is decaying and it's going to take a lot longer than people realize for it to go kaput but it is kind of the trajectory we're, we're going towards. And yet streaming is an inherently costlier endeavor mm. that's much easier to cancel and you don't make as much money. So it's this very weird tug of war that we're with, where we're in. And it's worth noting also that despite Netflix's, you know, the sky is falling scenario, the revenue actually grew quarter to quarter. So mm. they're still generating a lot of money. What we have to see is this is a blip, blip on the radar or can they get back to growing in specific markets? Because right now, the U.S. Canada market, you know, you're not going to add much more subscribers. It's fully tapped. Keg is tapped. Get another one. <laughs> so here, well, uh, and that's a great way to frame it because here's sort of where my simpleton brain goes. <laughs> Wasn't this sort of like an inevitability? Like if you're filling up a glass with water, you could only fill it up with so much water until it overflows. Netflix has become shorthand for streaming. It is ubiquitous. It is all powerful. Wasn't there always going to be a time where there weren't more homes to get into, where there weren't more screens to stream on? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question. So, you know, in stock, you have your bears and your bulls and your bulls are like, oh yeah, I'm bullish on this stock. It's got great potential. And bears are very down on it, very pessimistic. <clears throat> I, I've always been middle of the road with Netflix for the most part. Uh, of course, that there was going to be a saturation point that they couldn't overcome. But the thinking was that this was farther in the future because right now they've got about 220 million global subscribers. The thinking was that by, you know, 2030, there'd be billions of subscriptions up for grabs across the world. Right now, we're going to have to rethink that total addressable market number, probably lower our expectations for the near-term future. And listen, they can still continue to add subscribers in a lot of areas. If they hadn't shut down service in Russia due to their invasion of Ukraine and as a kind of corporate protest, they actually would have gained 200,000 subscribers this past quarter. So that's worth noting as context. But the fact that they are projecting 2 million losses next quarter on top of this, that back-to-back -back is really concerning. I think overall, you will see them get back to some sort of growth trajectory, but it's certainly not going to be on the same 
uh, level that we expected prior to this the last couple of years. And it's clear that COVID really inflated the value of the stock, particularly in mid-2020. And then here's the next point that my brain thinks of. This is, B, you've been vocal about this for some time. They churn out shows and cancel them without any regard. Netflix famously dumps money into production. Now, I understand that that won't necessarily fix their subscriber problem. But if you look at what Netflix has done over the last five years, right? Stranger Things came out in 2016. Now, you could argue that that is still their biggest pop cultural zeitgeist hit. They've had The Witcher and they've had Ozark. But I guess my point is that, will this cause them to reshape their content strategy? And instead of churning sometimes literal shit out (laughs) nonstop, will this cause them to pivot to more of a quality over quantity model? Netflix has been trying to aggressively develop its own franchises in-house for a while now. It's it's the reason why they go out and spend $460 million to get the Knives Out sequels. It's the reason why they are branching both the Army of the Dead and Witcher into not only sequels and prequels, but also animated spinoffs and what have you. They want in-house IP that keeps people coming back over multiple installments of a single piece of content. That's not going to change. But as reported by the Wall Street Journal today, and probably in reaction to what's going on, they are going to, while they're still going to spend a lot of money, they're looking at more ROI, return on investment. They want to live at the intersection of like, okay, this is maybe a moderately budgeted show with a decent but not great audience. Well, hopefully they'll be less inclined to cancel them because they're like, you know what? It doesn't cost a lot and we at least have loyal followings to it. Uh, The problem is, as you go on in, into greater number of seasons, the higher the costs get, both for talent salaries and mm. usually production. So that's one reason why they've been so trigger happy. But it does sound like they're going to not change spending, but try to be more cost efficient with the money they are spending, with the shows they are investing in. And they're certainly not going to be handing out, and we knew this long before uh, this reckoning this week, they're not going to be handing out those nine-figure talent deals to like the Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphys of the world anymore. Uh, Shonda re-upped because she's been killing it for them. But for the most part, their mega deals have a mixed track record in terms of ROI. So I think you'll see them try to spend smarter. They're still, according to the Wall Street Journal, on pace to spend $20 billion on content this year. I mean, My that just hope, sounds yeah. absurd. Without context, I know nothing about how much things cost. That sounds ridiculous. It's a lot of money. So the, the hope is that they will be a little bit less trigger happy with the cancellations as long as the budgets aren't crazy and the audience is at least sizable enough to be like, okay, it is satisfying existing customers because for years they have greenlit so many new shows because they found that new shows are a better generator of new subscribers and they're basically pushing existing subscribers down on the priority list. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I feel like that just that just feeds into the loop that they're currently in when they're making new things for new people. Whereas I would try to be enticing people, as you said, with my established franchises. They're just throwing shit at the wall. You know, <laughs> if you're if you're signing up for one show, oh sweet, I I love this show, and then it's gone. You know what I mean? Ozark and Stranger Things, and now like The Witcher. Ten, you know, yeah, yeah, they've been there for years, and you're going to continue to come back for that. So. And be one final thing that I want to ask you before I let you go enjoy what I'm sure is a lovely dinner that you and your girlfriend have made. <laughs> Thank you. What, what, if anything at all, are other streamers going to take from this? 
It's a great question. And the big concern is going to be like, is Netflix taking down the entire industry? And we saw after their terrible stock tumble Tuesday, Warner Brothers Discovery, Disney, Paramount Global, uh, Comcast stock all down. But we also saw, uh, as of this morning, HBO Max added about 4 million global subscribers. We've got uh, Disney earnings coming up in early May. We've got Paramount Global earnings coming up. We're going to see their subscriber numbers and see, hey, is this a widespread trend or is it self-contained? And on the flip side, too, if something is bad for Netflix, does it help normalize the streaming economy for everybody else? Because, again, like I said, the, the economic model is not super great. It's not geared towards uh, uh, great profitability. So the hope is that we might might see spending come down across the board, maybe a, a little bit more balance between linear and streaming, a little bit more money in the pocket of the streamers because they're spending so tens of billions of dollars on content. So. Uh, we, we will see. We'll, we'll have much more information on that specific question in mid-May once other companies have also reported their subscriber numbers. And we can see like, well, looks like only Netflix is hurting. Uh, but again, it, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Some of the second tier streamers have a lot more room to grow than Netflix does, which is the most mature. Uh, so it's a very complicated issue. I'm super excited to see how it plays out because this is basically the same nerdy energy we bring to Marvel, DC and Star Wars. Just on, you know, numbers and data and business bullshit. I tell you, if Disney keeps churning out shows like Moon Knight, they'll be next. Brandon, <laughs> Brandon, my friend, it's always great to see your face. I hope I will see you in person in a couple weeks at the Doctor Strange screening. I'll keep you posted on that. And you will be joining us again, I hope, for that podcast. Brother, thank you so much, man. Thank really, you, guys. Really Hi, Brandon. Enjoy the rest of the night. Can't wait to listen to this pod. All right, Brandon. Peace, <laughs> see brother. See ya. Okay, thank you to my friend. That was friend. fucking exciting. Like, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> I literally just, like, after I texted you 10-minute warning, I was like, oh, fuck, I should hit up Brandon because I'm not qualified to speak on this. So thank you to, to my boy, Brandon, old co-host of the show. You could find him over at Twitter, at great underscore Catsby. You could find his company, at Morning Brew. Okay, next order of business. Less number and data and high frequency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is a Wolf of Wall Street joke for y'all. The first trailer for Thor Love and Thunder finally dropped this week. Uh, as to the official synopsis, Thor Love and Thunder follows Thor on a quest for inner peace, but his retirement is interrupted by Gore the God Butcher, who seeks the extent, extinction of gods. To combat him, Thor enlists the help of King Valkyrie, Korg, and Jane Foster, who now wields Molnir as the mighty Thor. Whew, I mean, a lot of people were waiting for this trailer, and I think that the initial reception that I seemed to get from some corners was disappointment at the lack of plotting. Um, you know, in terms of reveals, we get a quick glimpse of the Guardians. The whole team seems to be there, except for Gamora, I believe, is the only one we don't right. see. We see a quick back shot of Russell Crowe as Zeus. And then the final stinger is Natalie Portman as Mighty Thor. Really not much to dive into compared to, let's say, the Doctor Strange trailer that dropped a few months ago where we spent an hour podcast on it. But <laughs> any big takeaways here? Were you into the trailer? It, it, it was more of a tone setter. Yeah, it's it's, it's nice vibes, right? Um I, I am somebody who hates trailers. And when I knew I'd be doing this podcast, I'm like, great. I'm going to have to dive into all these trailers all the time. And I was like, I'm going to spoil so many fucking movies for myself. So when they do this and they don't show me anything, I'm yeah. so happy. All we know is that Thor loses weight. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I feel like that was a foregone conclusion for the most part, uh, along with several other things. But like, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just reaffirming what we know, the style that Taika Waititi likes to use, the Guardians, all that stuff. I'm surprised we don't see Gore. Uh, I'm not. I think that's a great call. You think so? Okay. I mean, look, you know. I'm not I'm not upset, but no, I'm surprised. Of course not. I, I that... think getting Christian Bale to play a Marvel character is a yeah, steal. I think absolutely. getting him to play a Marvel villain is a steal. I think getting, yeah. to, getting him to play Gore the God Butcher is yeah. a steal. So I feel like that's a card that you want to keep as close to the chest for sure. as long as possible. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I imagine this will be in front of Doctor Strange 2. Um, mm. And uh, probably a full one. You even. think so? You think? I, I mean, mean, we're really close. So I, I was trying to Thor, think about. I think Thor is July eighth. So, so that would yeah. be exact. Pretty much exactly two months. Okay. So you think we're getting another trailer in two weeks? Hmm. When or just you like put an it extended like that. version yeah, of this, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe a little more. Footage. That's not going to be the last trailer. No. Like that. That yeah. seems like one that they toss together just to appease fans. They're like, we got to yeah. get something out there. Yeah. Because it's all. Scenic shots and close-ups and no action, no nothing. Yeah, I mean, we see the tiniest bit of action at the very end of right. uh, Jane fighting whoever the fuck that's supposed to be. And it seems to be on Earth because there's like yeah. cars and stuff mm-hmm. in the background. So we don't know what's going on there. It seems like they will be going back to Earth uh, in some capacity. I mean, do you, do you think it's possible that that is a multiverse thing? Jane? Yes. No, from what I from what I've read, there's like a there's like a storyline in the comic books where she yeah, has like yeah. cancer and that leads to her becoming Thor. And I think yes. that that is going to be at play here. OK, like I confirmed. was. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware of all that. But I was like, is it possible that this comes after Doctor Strange? And the reason they're not showing much is something gets affected somehow. Like she's not she, his Jade. She's, yes. Yeah, exactly. That's how I was. I'm, I'm not, throwing some some theories out. There. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> that's not a bad idea at all. They would have know. to. I think it would add a complicated step that they don't necessarily yes. need to, because you would still yeah. give her short of like her being born as Thor. She still needs that origin story of how she became Thor right. if she's human. And if you're going to have to do that regardless, you might as well use the same Jane you've been. Right. And, uh, and, and the, the only reason I, I thought that was like. If they don't want her to be the main Thor, but they want to use this storyline, they could just be like, well, she's going back to her world now. And still Chris Hemsworth as Thor. I mean, it also seems to me if he's setting up his retirement and it gets interrupted and stuff, is this his last movie? Well, he's the first MCU character to get a fourth solo film. So, yes. But Hemsworth has also showed a willingness to continue playing the character. So I'm mm-hmm. sure if Disney keeps cutting a check for Taika and it's a good story and Thor mm-hmm. has somewhere to go, then I think they'll keep doing it. I think that that is a question that we'll be able to answer, obviously, once we've seen the film. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if this is the end for Thor, given that he's already been through such a complete arc, right? Like I'm someone who yeah. says that I think Thor is like the dramatic core of the Thanos war mm-hmm. whether it be in infinity war he's dealing with losing to thanos losing asgard um he deals with the failure of not going further ahead he puts on the weight and becomes depressed he reestablishes himself to fight thanos but he gives up the kingship or kingdom or whatever the hell mm-hmm. the word is so I, I i'm just i'm unsure of where else the mcu could take this character i would be on board absolutely mm-hmm. But I definitely think it's in the air right now. One thing I do want to say is that it will certainly be fascinating to see what the actual tone of the film is, right? Because yes, Taika is known for his sort of 
subversive wink and nod tone. And I'm sure that that film will largely contain that. But when you consider the nature of the plot, Christian Bale is a demonic God running around yeah. slaughtering gods. <laughs> you know, I wonder how serious it's going to become. Add in the fact that they don't really show us much. I'm imagining that this is going to take some darker turns than, than we expect. I think so as well. I mean, e- even though we get the, the vibes of a Taika Waititi uh, trailer or a movie in this trailer, uh, it didn't have the same vibes as Ragnarok, which was like, we're going on an adventure. There's a lot of colors. There's, a you know, Thor's cracking jokes about seeing Hulk and stuff like there are shots in this trailer that are like, that's that's intense. Like the giant monster laying on the ground. And when he sees Jane, he almost has like a what the fuck? Like a, yeah, yeah. Like there's something unsettling about this. So yeah. uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited, though. All right, let's swing over from the MCU to our friends over at the Cursed DCEU. Poor guys. <laughs> last week, so we didn't do a regular pod last week because instead we put out our podcast with Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. Last week it was reported, I believe by Variety, that the new execs at Warner Bros. at the newly merged Warner Bros. Discovery were essentially looking into a rehaul of the DCEU. One of the quotes was that characters like Superman have been left to languish and i think that joker is a good example of how to maximize a quote second build character which i think represents a fundamental misunderstanding of dc in and of itself Mm -hmm. you consider joker to be a second build character but that's (laughs) neither here nor there the point is i think that the writing is on the wall for what the dcu is going to become i think that they're going to keep batman and doing and let reeves do what he's doing i think wonder woman 3 probably will happen i think mm-hmm. if black adam goes well they'll continue that but outside of those i i mean even aquaman i think could be at risk mm-hmm. if if this one doesn't also top the one billion dollar mark like i don't know what their benchmark yeah. is or how they're going to suss out what they want to keep but what makes this all the more difficult is that ezra miller was arrested in hawaii again so this would mark his second arrest in the last month third sort of incident in total to add to a situation that was already becoming untenable. Now, the reason that this is a problem was because not only is Ezra Miller one of their stars, but he's a star of a film that they were going to effectively use to soft reboot the DCEU. Now, I asked on Twitter and Brandon, our friend, did reply. I asked, should they start from scratch and recast and reshoot. Now, I understand the financial undertaking of that (laughs) and how serious that would be, but what's going to cost you more? Rolling out a Flash movie with a controversial star that nobody wants to see or just starting fresh, which is something that they're going to do regardless. I'm aware that that's not a realistic possibility, but I do think that at this point, the recasting of them is inevitable yeah i i saw something i don't know the the source of it i saw it circulated by another major outlet but uh was basically like warner brothers is not concerned about it because a it's a year away and they think they have time and b he's not contracted for any more movies so they're like we're not obligated to say we're recasting ezra miller right now because there is no future right now so it's like uh it's it's very bizarre like the fact it, it is frustrating that they are saying nothing at all because like how many more times does Ezra Miller have to be arrested before they they come out and say something? Like- I mean, for this time, <laughs> he for this one, he apparently threw a chair at somebody. Yeah, and like cut their head open. Yeah, like that's so serious. Yeah, that's that's assault. <laughs> yeah. So and um, and it's definitely. I mean, they're clearly taking a let a sleeping dog lie tactic. If the Flash was coming out in three months, 
it'd be fascinating yeah. to see what they'd be doing. Mm-hmm. But right now, yeah, I think you're right. I think that they're hoping shit calms down for them in the next year and they could just continue forward as planned. Regardless, as I've said on this podcast, I think that this is their opportunity to right a wrong and I can't see how they don't do it now. Not a wrong in terms of them as a person, but just as a casting choice, I don't think that it's worked out in the way that they hoped. All right. It's, it's the most unfortunate gamble they've made. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of many. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right, let's swing over to everyone's favorite segment of the week. Kate's Game and Corner. Yeah. I feel like the jingle t- changes a little bit every week, but that's all right. A little I like bit. it. I've, I've, yet, I've, I've yet to write down the notes to it. <laughs> um, so to, to kind of kick what things off. What do you got, Kate? Yeah, to kick things off, uh, uh, King Kong and Godzilla are coming to Call of Duty Warzone, which is bizarre uh, because it is an Especially official. Especially this time. Yeah, like it's an official Godzilla versus Kong like tie-in, which is a movie that came out over a year ago now. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It, like it's not like this was probably held back because the the map that they're doing it on is a Japanese island, and that was not in the game a year ago. So like it's something that has come to fruition in the last probably several months. Um, they haven't given like super concrete details yet. They they announced this is definitely happening on May eleventh. All we know is King Kong, Godzilla are on this big ass island, and they're probably gonna fuck you up. Uh, I imagine it's more fun. (laughs) It does sound like fun. I mean, it's like it's so ridiculous because in the past they've had a couple things like they've had like Jigsaw and Leatherface in the game and stuff, but like no real big tie in there. The closest they've gotten was uh, last summer. They had an '80s event which had Nakatomi Plaza from Die Hard in the middle Mm. of the the map. Um, which was really cool, but that was the extent of it. This is like Godzilla, King Kong are here to fuck shit up and you got to stop them. And it's like, okay, all right. So uh, we're we're waiting more details on that. Uh, but uh, if you play Warzone, I, I imagine this is something you'll want to be part of. Even yeah. if you don't, it's a free game. Go, go fucking download and play this. This right, sounds awesome. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, the second thing here is uh, Xbox and PlayStation are reportedly adding ads to uh free-to-play games uh later this year uh for both of them um seems like these are being done obviously independent of each other uh it just so happened that they are coinciding at the same time but uh as it goes right now um business insider said basically they are looking into helping these developers monetize their games you know the current route is like fortnite has like a battle pass or whatever that you can buy uh and i think they want to probably lean away from these more predatory things like microtransactions and stuff and be like look you can get money just by allowing advertisers to come do a digital billboard in your game so you're driving down fucking tilted towers and there's a mcdonald's billboard on the side of the road or whatever right, that, right. that'd be the extent of it so I'm surprised it's taken this long i i am too like they've they it was a thing in like the rise of the xbox live era and like the xbox 360 days there's a little bit of this um didn't like, you didn't you uh recently report on them removing an ad from a recently remastered game it's not max Payne, but it's another like guy with a name i feel like you're you're right uh i don't know I, that does sound like something but no i don't remember what it was okay go ahead i'll if, if it comes back to me i'll i'll let you know but what uh, was a recently announced remade game oh alan wake Oh, yes. Thank you so much. 
Yes, that was – wow, you have a really good memory. Uh, yeah, last fall they, they re-released Alan Wake, and there were fucking tie-ins out the wazoo when that game came out. There were Verizon billboards because you would have, like, a Verizon cell phone. They had Energizer batteries that you put in your flashlight in the game uh, and, and all sorts of stuff. And all so of that was – This is an removed. old game. That just goes yeah. to show, yeah. Yeah, and all of that was removed because that's, like, a licensing thing. So mm-hmm. they took all of that out and replaced it with generic stuff. But um, that is basically what we can expect. Yes, that is exactly it. Thank you so much. That, that was really smart. So, yeah, you can probably expect some of that. I mean, I don't know. There's been some backlash. We'll see how hesitant they are. They're trying to be selective with the brands they're picking reportedly. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be super aggressive. Maybe they'll ease into it with being like, look, only like Nike and McDonald's are allowed to do this right, right. now. And maybe right. we'll vet some more later. Right. So that's how that goes. And then the third and probably biggest of, of all of this is there's a new Star Wars game on the way. Um, Again! Amongst many, many, many others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is kind of a dream come true in a way because EA had the license forever for for the post-Disney era, right? And people were like, I don't want EA to be making Star Wars games. I want other people to have a chance. And now we are getting that EA, Ubisoft, and now Skydance Media, who is a subsidiary of the movie studio Skydance, um, is uh, tasking Amy Hennig, who created Uncharted and was working on another Star Wars game at EA under Visceral Games called Project Ragtag. Uh, she's making a new Star Wars game with Skydance. And apparently, this is not confirmed, but the rumor is it is a revival of that game. And this was a game a lot of people were really looking forward to because it's like reb- or, uh, like criminals in the underworld going around doing criminal shit in Star Wars. You Very know, cool. you characters like Java and stuff. But uh, hopefully that is what this is. Yeah, Either I read way. it was described as a narrative-focused action adventure. So it sounds yes. very uncharted to me. Exactly. Again, just give me my fucking open world star wars game battle uh no not battlefield starfield whatever yeah. just get just fucking somebody pay star wars <laughs> needs to buy bethesda and just slap star wars branding on that game for christ's sakes I'm all sure right they will let's get to some quick hitters and then we'll take a quick break uh ben affleck and matt damon is co-stars phone night and sonny vaccaro in a film about nike's efforts to star to sign Michael Jordan, Damon, and Affleck will co-write the script. The pair, of course, co-wrote Good Will Hunting and The Last Duel with Affleck set to direct. Sounds dope. I also read that Jordan actually won't be in the movie, but will be sort of like this looming presence. It's awesome. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has unfortunately been delayed from October 7th of this year to June 2nd of next year. The 10th film in the Fast and Furious franchise, which recently added Brie Larson to his cast, is officially titled Fast X. I feel like that sounds like a diet pill. Um, <laughs> the, the live action Dungeons and Dragons film starring Chris Pine is officially titled Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Zack Snyder has announced that Rebel Moon is now filming and Jason Momoa is in talks to star in a live action Minecraft movie. I mean, he's got a square head, uh, kind of. I, <laughs> you know, I don't really know how else that's going to work, but good luck for that one. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be breaking down episode four of moon Knight before we have an interview with alexander skarsgård okay and we're back moon Knight episode four the tomb this is the last one that critics and journalists saw and as i've been saying for a few weeks for obvious reasons this is the paradigm shifting episode in the series um if you've seen it which i hope you have considering you're at this point in the podcast if not i guess i'll just throw out an arbitrary spoiler warning regardless this is the one that it's fascinating right because i think it 
makes the series more intriguing going forward, but it also subsequently makes me more frustrated with everything <laughs> we've seen so far. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. So yeah. basically, we're going to skip over the first half of this episode. And we're also going to skip last week's fun fact this week. Moon Knight did not pop up once in a show called Moon Knight. So let that just oh, sit for a bit. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I think that the first half of this episode and and last week's have been largely emblematic of my problems with this series so far. And that feels like a very MacGuffin chasing setup. We got to go to point A to get the scarab, to get the sarcophagus, to find the tomb, to stop the god. And it's on and on and on to the point of, frankly, confusion. I am not exactly sure what's going on in this show right now. This all leads to, while they're in one of these tombs of, uh, I believe, Alexander the Great, which, like, I guess would be cool if I could follow the fucking plot, but Mm -hmm. I'm not. So, you know, after being shot twice in the chest by Arthur Harrow, Mark awakes in a mental ward where we see a lot of the details from the story we've been seeing characters familiar faces the name Stephen knight is from this cheap movie called tomb buster you've got drawings of ancient egyptian symbols have all been pulled in from the world around then we see a sedated mark goes to see harrow who appears to be his you know in ward therapist psychiatrist mark panics and runs out of the session when he remembers that Harrow shot him, where he then stumbles upon a coffin, or as it's known in Egyptian terms, sarcophagus, with Stephen inside of it. So they're they're separated, right? Mm-hmm. The two, who are confused by what's going on, embrace and continue down the mental hospital hallway, where they are confronted by, I kid you not, a giant elephant god. Now, this whole sequence, scene, whatever, is ripped directly from the comics, via the LA Times. It is based on a 14-issue run that launched in 2016 from um, Lem Ryer and Smallwood's Moon Knight story, which sees Mark living in a terrible institution confronted with the possibility that none of his experiences as the Fist of Conchu have been real. According to his doctor, Mark has been a patient at the institution since he was 12, and all of the Moon Knight adventures that he remembers are delusions. But according to Conchu, with whom Mark still communicates, the institution is illusion crafted by villains who need to be defeated. So this is sort of like a very old school storytelling trope, like the old, it was all a dream. Yeah. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's what we're seeing here. I think we're seeing some sort of purgatory afterlife dream world type state. If you've ever seen The Leftovers, I don't know if you mm-hmm. have, amazing show, but like the lead character in that, goes to sort of this in-between heaven and earth world where he is in full autonomous control of like just a slightly off and weird world. So I think that this is fascinating because finally we have some plot, right? Finally, we have something to break down and to dive into and then advances the story forward. It it recontextualizes everything we've seen and gives us something exciting to look forward to. But that said, we are effectively starting Moon Knight, the true Moon Knight story in episode four with only two left. And so I'm curious, what did you think of this episode in contact in comparison to the first three? I, I totally agree with your sentiment that there's just a lot of mumbo jumbo being thrown around in terms of just words. And it's like, we're not seeing what that means. You're just telling us what that means. And that's not as interesting across a series. Like, I, I don't know. I can only keep my focus so long. Usually when someone tells you something, it means like the, the reveal of said thing is around the corner. You're going to see it visualized. And, we and let me really just make a there. quick point on, on, on your great telling and not showing. 
there's a moment early this week where um, uh, Layla and Steven kiss. And it's supposed to be this very like mommy-esque romantic moment. Mm. The problem is your only knowledge of their relationship is that they've they've told us that they've had one. We haven't actually seen it. So what should be like a romantic meet again moment rings completely hollow. Yeah, I, I don't care about their relationship whatsoever. Honestly, yeah. it, it's not interesting to me. Um, it is probably the weakest part of the show. Also, fucking hell, the the stuff with the flare at the beginning of this episode, one of the, that was stupid. Like yeah. that that they should have. I I liked the idea of in concept that she throws it and blows up the truck or whatever. But she like holds it, gets shot at, hides under a truck with it, and then has another one. I'm just like, this is it's clunky. Ridiculous. It's yeah, clunky. Um, so, so telling just, and not and not showing. Yeah, that's that's really the big one is just like, I I don't know what we're after here. And it's just getting too convoluted as you add more and more layers to that. Um, And the only stuff I really liked was the end here. You know, the last what, probably 10, 15 minutes where he's in the mental institution, uh, which is cool. And I, I'm with you that this is probably a dream within a dream kind of a thing where this is just not really happening. Um, So. Uh, I, I don't know where this goes from here. I like all of how they kind of tie it all in with the uh, the thing around his ankle, like it wasn't his bed mm. and stuff. That was cool. But um, I don't know. Ethan Hawke is carrying the show on his back, and it's unfortunate. Does this twist <laughs> make you more excited for what's to come? I don't know. Because, like, I it, it's not surprising to me, I guess. I, I don't know. Like, it, it didn't come out of the blue for me. Like, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense for this show. Uh, so... If they have, if they spend the rest of the show in this world, wherever this Which is, they this won't. is reality, I don't think they will. But if they did, I'd be like, this is cool. I want to see more of like, oh, this is all just fucking in his head or whatever. And he, I don't know that there's an interesting way to do that, but I, I don't think they will. So before we touch on the giant elephant god, I also want to note as Mark and Steven are going down the hallway, they, they see a third sarcophagus that's sort of shaking and being pounded on in the same way that Steven was when he was trapped inside of his. This is the latest hint that fans are expecting the third Moon Knight persona, Jake Lockley, to appear. Now, I think that this is cool, right? I think that the idea of multiple dueling personalities and uh, morals and beliefs fighting control over one body is an interesting idea. And I even further like the idea of an as yet unrevealed one. Like, he could be the one who asked out that girl on a date. Right. He could be the one who's doing violent acts that they're both not claiming to have done. And I think that that is cool. The problem with it, though, is, is it cool enough to be your show's review? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is Jake Lockley showing up in the second to last show being like, hey, everybody, Jake's here. Is that cool enough to be like, well, I'm really glad we waited a month for that? Yeah. I don't know. The other problem with it is, let's say Jake Lockley is dope, and he is a dope character, and you're like, fuck yeah, this guy's awesome. He's here now. Well, guess what? The show ends next week. Yeah. So so I just, I have probably never been as critical of a Marvel show as I have been of this one now. Mm. And I'm having a hard time establishing whether or not, whether or not my beef is legitimate or whether or not I just had too high of hopes for it. Like I had mm. significantly higher expectations for this show than I did for, let's say, Hawkeye. Right. Sure. But because of that, I have found myself increase. I mean, I, Again, and I'm not somebody who's saying I need punching and blood every week, 
but we did not get Moon Knight this week in the halfway point. When you're introducing a character as thematically cool, as visually cool as this, I want to see him as much as possible. We've maybe seen our hero in one, two set pieces max. The set piece this week, I could literally barely see on my TV screen because it was so dark in that sort of tomb. So I guess my bottom line point is there are a lot of individual pieces that I find fascinating, but the but they just haven't quite melded for me yet. And as a result, and as you said, it all feels very disjointed and and uh, not like where a sports team is meant to be. The sum is meant to be greater than the parts, right? This just feels like a, a bunch of parts, each pulling in its own direction. The Layla storyline, as far as I'm concerned, they, they could throw that out entirely. Oh, yeah. It, it has had zero relevance to my enjoyment of the show. So there's only two weeks left. It's going to take uh, quite a bit for them to turn around my opinion of this so far. I will say that everything I've seen has made me convinced that short of something catastrophic, season two is guaranteed. I thought I saw them say that they're not even doing a second season. Like that's just, bullshit. That's you you bullshit. think so? Do you think that's they're just absolute, saying that? Unless they're going to make a movie. I, I that's, think that's that was my bullshit. assumption. Yeah, yeah, I think that's complete bullshit. But I don't think that the character has proved that he's movie worthy yet. Yeah, no, at I'm least the from same what way. they've shown us. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, it hasn't been set up enough to grant a cinematic experience, an IMAX or something, right? Um, yeah, it's just it's frustrating because the show is well made. Like it's it's very unique for. Is Marvel. it though? Is it though? I think like, so. You just had a problem with the opening set piece. Yeah. I just said I couldn't see about fifteen <laughs> percent this week. Sure. It was very, you know, it was. And yes, I have a, a lot of sunlight in here, but that's not, you know. Regardless, <laughs> yeah. I or 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 there was some CGI where they were on the roofs in Egypt, maybe yeah. two or three weeks ago. And I know that you're big on people complaining about cgi and i get that too but mm-hmm. when i feel like they're standing in front of totally. a wallpaper yes. i've yes. got a problem yeah no no that's that's really fair yeah like it's it's well made in the sense that it's distinct i think for mm-hmm. for the marvel universe and that's that's what is important to me but i i agree like there are fundamental flaws with just like it feels cheap in some areas it feels like you are not giving me because like the whole thing about disney plus was like we're giving you tv shows that feel like movies right like they they have the production value of films and yes they don't feel like cw shit but like there is still a gap there in terms of like it feels like a lot of these series is could have been movies but they pad them out to feel like shows like but i they feel like they didn't have this problem with like loki i thought that show looked great sure. yeah for for the most part i mean like uh maybe hawk or uh, not hawkeye uh falcon and the winter soldier as well but like there there is a I mean, Boba Fett was another one that was like, this doesn't need to exist. This could have been a, a you know, a, a more mini series, a shorter series, yeah, or a, a Disney Plus film or something. Uh, and they're just, they are having troubles with pacing. Uh, I think is the big thing. Yeah, yeah. And again, as I've always said, when it comes to the MCU shows, I need and want to see the full product before I make a final determination of how much I enjoy it if this yeah. if these next two weeks blow me away all good no beef but right now where things currently stand with the expectations i have for it i can't help but feel anything less than extremely let down and that's just a fact of life now let's talk about the hippo god uh per <laughs> marvel.com and i'm gonna butcher this name toreret toreret t-a-w-e-r-e-t is the egyptian goddess of childbirth 
and fertility, and quote, ceases aging at adulthood and cannot die by conventional means. Uh, according to Marvel's description, dispersal of a major portion of their bodily molecules will call, cause death, and even then resurrection via other gods may be possible. Now, I don't know enough about Egyptian gods to determine <laughs> how this is going to factor into the plot, how this is going to help Mark and Stephen. What I will say is that I got the sense that this character, that this character felt trapped there. Mm in this like purgatory-esque world and it or she is going to help Mark and Steven reawaken and get out. Mm. That is about as far as I can see this plot line going. Now, director Mohamed Diab said Tawaret is leading the next episode and is very essential, very important, but the next episode is going to challenge whatever you think of her. So by that description, the penultimate episode is going to be a hippo god story which again is taking away screen time from the character that we want to see, which is Moon Knight. I will applaud them for the zany direction. There is something (laughs) objectively insane about a hippo god, and I am there for it. It was probably like one of the most get-out-of-your-seats moments in the show so far, and for that I applaud them, but it's adding such a bizarre spice into the stew at such a late stage of the game that I think it's either going to make or break the show. Yeah, I agree. I think this is something that would probably work better earlier on when you could have her as more of a supporting character. Rather and I than could pop in and check in. Yeah. yeah, but having it so late is like, I didn't know we were going this zany. Like, I, I didn't know. It, it's Which almost I'm fine with right yeah, now. It's 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 exactly it. It's a fun idea. It's just uh. Again, a pacing thing. That's really all it keeps coming back to is just like, is this the time and place? And and we'll see. Uh, it's a fucking crazy idea that I, I you have my curiosity. Like, I have to see the, the follow through on that. <laughs> it certainly doesn't lend itself to more Moon Knight set pieces. I'll say that, you know, yeah. like, uh, I mean, uh, you know, all I wanted was to see a... And I guess street level is not the right word, but like gritty. And I know that that's so overused and cliche at this point. But when you look at the MCU, they don't really have that hero. And I felt that Moon Knight could have been that. And so far, we've barely seen it. Moon Knight is a character that's featured the least in the show. And that, to me, is an indictment of a show called Moon Knight. I'm sorry. That's just. That's just how I feel. So like I've said, this is as far as journalists have seen. So everything from here on out is going to be new to everybody. Let's hope that next week kicks the show into what we thought it would be. All right. Now, next for my interview with Alexander Skarsgård, the star of The Northman, which hits theaters Friday, April 27th. Folks, today I am joined by Alexander Skarsgård, an actor you know from projects such as Zoolander, True Blood, Godzilla vs. Kong, Succession, and his latest film, The Northman, which hits theaters on April 22nd. How are you today, sir? And thank you for joining me. I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Dude, let me just say that I was actually intimidated to talk to you today because of how threatening you were in that film and just being on screen with you for two minutes, I could see how friendly of a guy that you are. So that's really just a credit to the performance that you put in. Cause I don't really get nerves. I've been doing oh. this for a bit, but I was legitimately nervous to talk to you today. Oh, uh, uh, thank you. And, and I'm sorry, I guess. 
<laughs> so let's start with this role. I imagine that this pushed you to some seriously intense places. Talk to me about the most challenging scene that you had to film and how you were able to push yourself through it. It's uh, difficult to pick because there were quite a few <laughs> yeah. uh, mentally and emotionally, uh, physically challenging scenes. Uh, um, there, there's once a, a, um, a transformation in which my character, who's a Viking berserker, uh, goes from basically sheds his um, humanity and, and 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 becomes his spirit animal, which is a hybrid of his name is Bjorn Ulfur, which means bear wolf. So he 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 becomes a hell of a combo. Sorry, that's a hell of a combo. Bear wolf. A combo, yeah. So he basically <laughs> transforms from a human to a a hybrid of a bear and a wolf before an attack on a village, um, and 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 that was quite a quite a cathartic <laughs> scene to shoot. It, uh, um, it it's almost he's almost in a trance uh, when he sheds his humanity, and that, that was um, uh, <laughs> quite trippy. Well, I want trippy is an unbelievable word that you use. I was going to ask you about this. The word that I wrote down a lot was primal. You tapped into to something primal and I was stunned by it, really. What is it like as a performer going to those places? What, what did you channel? Or is it a matter of cutting loose and not really channeling anything at all? It, it, I would say more the latter. It was, we're all beasts aren't aren't we like i think we all have that there's an interesting dichotomy between uh being civilized human beings in modern day society but deep down we're primal and we're animals and we have that thing within us on dormant in most cases and i'm naturally quite a mellow not super emotional guy so um it was I guess cathartic and and, and, and and exhilarating to kind of um just pull the plug on that and let it out and um and 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 um and just kind of explore my uh connection to, to to that beast and let it out. Some of those more beast-like moments where you like Robert, man. I I I could only do this once or twice. I'm drained. Like how much did it take out of you going to those places? Well, uh, with that scene that I just mentioned, that transformation w was quite an interesting night because um, it, it, as I'm sure you noticed in the movie, all pretty much all the scenes are shot with just one camera and one shot, one long continuous take. So it's um, uh, technically quite difficult to, to, to get it right, to get all the components to work. Uh, and again, if something is slightly off, then you have to, you can't, uh, you can't really cheat it. You can't do a pickup uh, and there's no coverage. You have to go back and do it over again. So, which means you have to do all the scenes many, many times and you have to prepare them for many months. The choreography of it, the dance between the actors and the camera um, has to be meticulously planned um, before you get to set. Um, that specific scene, it was a very long uh, and, and intense night uh, because again, what it, the adrenaline is flowing and, and it's so we were all it's 12 berserkers basically in that scene and we all go through this um this transformation on uh and doing it once is very exhausting but we uh had to do it many many times and at 4 30 i think we're almost five o'clock in the morning we 
um, finally got it and it, the, everything worked and everyone was happy and, and um, you're running on adrenaline all night. So like when, when they call cut and Rob and Jared and cinematographer are happy and it's just like, you're basically just collapsed because you're so tired <clears throat> and it's raining in the scene. So I, we were all soaking wet and took everything off. The sun was about to rise. <clears throat> I got back to the car and and then the first AD runs up and knocks where <clears throat> I'm so ready to just crash and 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 and, and, and uh, sleep for 12 hours and and then the, the the first AD runs up and knocks on the window just as we're about to pull off <clears throat> and uh and says that there's uh there's a rain deflector on on the camera because again it's, it's raining in the scene and it wasn't quite working on the last take. So a, a drop of rain had landed on the lens <clears throat> and distorted it. So I'm sorry for laughing, but that's yeah, brutal. Yeah, he basically said, like, so sorry, but uh, we're going to have to go again. So you're going to get out of the car, walk up the hill, Oof. put on that wet bear wolf combo pelt that I'm wearing, the height yep. in the scene, yep. and then do it all again. And it, it that took some uh, <laughs> of mental all, fortitude standing up there with all these berserkers and everyone was like we were so uh, people were basically ready to cry because we we're so exhausted uh but in a weird way i think it it it, it definitely helped us get to a primal state because mm. <laughs> you're so exhausted and then you just like you just have to go again and it, it uh so, so that 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 rage and frustration you see at the end of the scene is basically real, real, and it's me being <laughs> like, I could have been home in my warm bed now, but I'm here <laughs> on this mountaintop. So I'm I'm reading a book about Mad Max Fury Road, and there's a part in it where they talk about like the War Boys built a camaraderie through very ritualistic chants and songs and stuff like that. Did you and your fellow berserkers have any sort of bonding activities or hobbies or chants or songs that you guys did to get yourself in in the zone what you see in the movie that 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 transformation starts out with a ritualistic dance um and um so we spent quite a few days and nights working on that and getting the the, the choreography of that correct and, and and again to kind of start to move as one and in, in, in that before within um in in the scene we start we move as one and then as we go into the the, the transformation when the beats come out it becomes more of an um uh, individual and uh, journey that we're we're on the different animals come out but initially it was that was kind of a um it was really nice to have those uh long rehearsals where we would just like do the chants together and in the movements together and uh to to kind of um create that sense of of, of camaraderie and brotherhood mm. what's it like playing a character who's so whose goal is so clearly formed does it make it easier for you to wrap your head around the performance and what you want to do or harder because there's not that much depth to them and they're so one track minded. It it was once I understood more about the mindset of um the Viking a Viking like Ham, like Amleth uh, how he perceived not only the natural world around him but the spiritual world the gods his um 
the importance of, of, of fate, the norns of fate that he believed in um, that would weave um, fate of each and every human being. Um, so to him, it's, um, he's got agency, he's got free will, but it's also inevitable in a way, in a contradictory way, in a contradictory way, he's, he's got free will, but it's also, he believes so strongly in fate and that these norns have spun his, basically, it's basically like a tapestry of his life and has already been spun by, by these female entities uh, that uh, hang out by the Yggdrasil, the, the, the tree of life. Um, so it's, it is, um, it's, it's, it is his destiny and he, he believes so strongly in it. So once he's in the beginning, when you see him as a berserker, he's kind of off track a bit on, um, and then he gets like a metaphorical slap by Bjork's character and she reminds him of who he is and what his destiny is, um, and what he has to do to be reunited with his father in Valhul, uh, then it's, it is, it, 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 it to have that agency and determination was uh i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it. again like without revealing what happens towards the end of the movie but like there's it gets um to him it's very clear what his mission is and who the good guy is and who the bad guy is and all that but it gets um slightly subverted uh, right later on right tell me something about robert eggers film making talent that was unique or different to anyone that you've worked with before and how did that help you grow as a performer Robert, when we first met five years ago, I I just seen The Witch. I think it was five or six years. Ago. The Witch was had just come out, and I was really, I was incredibly impressed by what he could. Um, it's a low budget movie, and but he created them. It was such a rich world, and 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 um, I I felt so I felt transported to a different time. It felt like it was so obvious that he. Uh, his attention to detail and historical accuracy was was exceptional, and um, that got me really excited. And then when we started working together on this, um, he, he, that's his way of working. He spent years basically becoming a Viking scholar himself, and <laughs> and uh, and and um, it's tremendously helpful as an actor when you step onto a set knowing that. Um, 360 everything around you is 100% authentic like the 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 farm was built the way with with five archaeologists historians viking experts like built the way a viking farm would have been built with the right wood the right type of grass the clothes we were wearing were 100% there was nothing even slightly anachronistic about it um which is tremendously helpful because you don't have to suspend disbelief. You're in it and you right. feel like you're in that world and you're shooting on location on and not on a back lot or on a soundstage. Um, in terms of Rob's film style of filmmaking, it's 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 it's, it's quite unique, especially um, uh, today to shoot on film, to shoot with no coverage. Uh, and it's 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 quite Unique. It's extremely unique to do that way on a to work that way on a on a big action adventure movie. Um, it's just not done that way. You have plenty of coverage, and um, but Rob wanted to shoot it the way he he works, the way he did on um, the the witch and the lighthouse, and it's um, it was it challenging for 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 everyone in front of and behind camera because shooting a big action set piece with 
hundreds of extras and and, and 30 stunt guys and and all the actors and horses and stuntmen falling off horses and actors climbing and jumping and <laughs> got them chickens flying through the frame. <laughs> there are a lot of components. And again, if something is slightly off, a slight bump on the camera or something deep background, it's not perfect. You have to go back and do it from, from the beginning because there, there are no shortcuts or you can't really, uh, you can't really cheat it. So that was, um, it was exciting. I was trying to embrace that challenge. Um, and of course, frustrating because sometimes everything felt great and you went through it and all the the, 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 the fight stuff was was great. But then there's a detailed deep background that's not perfect. And then you have to go again. So right. you just had to kind of remind yourself that like, hopefully, by working this way, it, it, it's arduous and it's it's time consuming. And, but hopefully to the audience, even if people watching it aren't familiar with the nuts and bolts of filmmaking, they will perceive it differently because we're so accustomed to a fight sequence in a movie having 400 cuts and 35 different cameras going simultaneously, um, which is not, I don't, I've shot many movies that way and I, it's great and I don't, it's not, no, I'm not criticizing that, but maybe it'll be interesting for the, for, even if they aren't familiar with filmmaking, but subconsciously feel like they, maybe it's a bit more immersive when you're with the character through a crazy big fight scene like that. And you, you, you consciously or subconsciously there feel that there, there are no cuts We're with him the whole time. Um, so that kind of, that, that got me uh, excited and got me through those, those tough long days where like, gotcha. well, we're, aiming for something quite unique here and let's see if we can accomplish it well i think all of your guys hard work paid off it's obviously it's a beautifully crafted film and as i said your performance man is just gripping i was enthralled i've got a wrap here so let me just ask quick do you know when you're going to start work on uh season four of succession um i have no idea and again i i came in and just did a little thing last season so um i could very likely be it for me, but so gotcha. I don't know. All right, yeah. man. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And like I said, congrats on the film. Your performance is absolutely incredible. I truly mean that, sir. Oh, wow. Thanks so much, Eric. I really appreciate that. Take care, it's boss. Nice talking to you. Take Cheers, care, man. man. Ciao. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you to Alexander Skarsgård for joining me. I hope you all go check out The Northman this weekend. It is fucking sick. It is one of the most in the same way that the unbearable weight made me think like, I can't believe a studio made a comedy like this. I can't believe a studio made a $90 million movie like this, right? Because it's That's effectively I know is that expensive. <laughs> it's effectively like an art house Viking epic, which is kind of contrasting if you think about it. Sure. Considering, but it works. You get the Robert Eggers visual splash with all the classic sort of brutal Viking action that you've come to expect. It This might be an indictment of my worldly culturalness, but I felt like I was playing Creed Valhalla when I watched this movie. So make sure you guys go check out that. Make sure you go check out The Unbearable Weight of a Massive Town, which also hits theaters today. If you haven't already, check out our interviews with two stars, Nick Cage, Pedro Pascal. There's been a lot of good films out these last few weeks. Kate, I know you finally caught up on everything, everywhere, all at once. 
What yeah. a picture. What um, a picture. That for real. Like every meme used about cinema applies to this yeah. movie. That's absolutely great movie. amazing. If you haven't caught and I and I you saw it on Easter and you said mm-hmm. that your theater was kind of packed. I saw yeah. it on a Friday at like three o'clock and it was like a full house. So shout yeah. out cinema doing, well. doing its thing. Today is April 22nd. I'm not entirely sure what we'll talk about next week outside of Moon Knight, but the week after that, folks, is a little film called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So we will talk to you next week. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.